This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System L-I-V-E live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. And Scott, uh, we missed an opportunity to talk about the biggest trade in quite some time. And we're not going to miss that opportunity again. We actually have a small sample size of what the Brooklyn Nets might be. We'll get to that in a second. We'll also talk about the implications that uh, the Houston Rockets are now under without the beard for the first time in what feels like 10 years, close to 10 years, no beard there in Houston, what they're going to look like going forward, uh, and possibly the best team, the best under-the-radar team in the NBA that no one is talking about, Scott. We will tell you who it is, and we'll also discuss why no one's talking about them a little later on. But first, got to start, of course, with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, the new-look Brooklyn Nets, James Harden is now on Brooklyn. And Scott, when the trade went down, the day after the trade went down, we talked about it off the air, and you said to me, "It's it's you almost have to pinch yourself by you know saying the fact that James Harden is a Brooklyn net, and and we've seen trades happen and big you know acquisitions via free agency happen over the last it feels like maybe ten years in the NBA, and we just kind of go on with our lives like, like this is a, a, a three time scoring champion who got traded to a team that already featured Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And everyone just kind of shrugged their shoulders and was like, oh, I can't wait to watch him play. <laughs> it is pretty uh, crazy when you put it like that. I I don't know why. I, maybe it's because, you know, the Nets, I think, were the first team that were mentioned as, you know, on his um, trade destinations list. Um, maybe it just felt inevitable that he was going there. Maybe it's the fact that this is just a bit of a weird season. There's no fans in the crowd. Maybe that takes some of it out. But yeah, I mean, as soon as the news broke, we were covering on NBA.com. And it really didn't hit me until like four hours later um, that night. And I was like, James Harden just got traded to the Nets. Like when you take a step back and you look at it, it's like James Harden and Kevin Durant, arguably top two top five players, if not top five, top 10 players in the league. Kyrie Irving's a top 20, 25 player in the league. The three of them together playing under Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni um, have the potential to be I, I, like only the most gifted offensive trio in NBA history or the best trio of shot makers in NBA history. Um, I, I think they have a very strong case for that. And, you know, we can get into some of the concerns about their offensive fit, um, the defensive side and everything like that. But you put those three guys together, um, the sky's the limit, I think. Uh, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out um, for the Nets, the three of them, um, and also all these other teams that are involved, which we'll get into a little bit with the Rockets in a bit. It's funny, we, we, a lot of people had a lot of harsh things to say about James Harden, and I'm not going to sit here and say they weren't warranted by the way that he acted in Houston. Now, obviously, he wasn't playing to his potential, but it's funny, like, you look at this, the numbers and mm -hmm. that, that he put up in Houston, even when he's not playing to his potential, probably not in the best shape he could possibly be in right now, he still averaged 24 points per game, uh, 10 assists, and shot 34% from three-point range. Like, it's still, he was still getting to the line, you know, five, seven and a half times a game. He, he was still doing something um, that most people in the NBA can't do. And in two games in Brooklyn, he's gone back to 30-plus per game, 13 assists 
uh, <laughs> averaging those two in those two games. He hasn't shot the ball well from three, but it doesn't matter because he's he's realized, and we saw it more in the Bucks game on MLK Day that. Uh, he took it to the basket and and finished in traffic when he knew that the jump shot wasn't there. And with Kyrie Irving on the floor, eventually, with Kevin Durant already there, Joe Harris, who's a great three-point shooter, the space that he is going to have to operate is going to be incredible. The dude right now, for, for a guy who is a not in complete basketball shape, who pretty much sandbagged other than the last two games he's played because he's in a new scenario, is currently leading the NBA in assists per game. Like that, that that's mm-hmm. happening right now, and he's still averaging twenty six points per game. Like that's nuts to me. It is nuts, um, and, and it's funny too because James Harden led the league in assists in, in one time in his career in twenty sixteen seventeen. Um, he averaged eleven point two assists per game. That was that first year that Mike D'Antoni was coach of the Rockets. Um, and I remember the, the the conversation going into that season was Mike D'Antoni wanted to use James Harden like Steve Nash. Um, he wanted to put the ball in his hands, play him as a point guard. Um, I think people didn't really expect that side of Harden or to see that from him because prior to that point, he's always been known as a scorer. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's still, he, he's been one of the top assist guys since then, um, even though he hasn't led the league in scoring. But I think you've really seen it over the last couple games. Um, just It's just a reminder of how good of a passer he is. And I think you can kind of surround him with so many different players. Like he's played with rim runners before, which helps him next to DeAndre Jordan. We obviously know he's played next to shooters before, and that kind of makes it a smooth fit with Joe Harris and guys off the bench like TLC, Landry Shamit, um, guys who space the floor. Um, but you're right. The, the spacing that they, they're going to have is just, it's just absurd, quite frankly. And I, I shared um, a screenshot with you today from the game against the Bucks last night. And it's Kevin Durant on one side of the, uh, of the court without the ball in his hands. James Harden walking down the center of the court without the ball in his hands. So it's Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, and Joe Harris. Um, and there's nobody defending the rim. Because both Durant and Harden's defenders are glued to them. Two really great defenders in Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, by the way. Um, and I just can't stop picturing, like, that's going to be Kyrie Irving. Um, and obviously, they're going to have to figure out who handles the ball when, how it works, how, how the ball moves in the offense and everything like that. And those are big things. Um, but it's crazy to think that, like, Kyrie is going to probably be the third option on this offense. Um, and the kind of defenders, the guys who are going to be defending him, the amount of space he's going to be playing with next to two guys who can play off ball. Um, Durant is arguably the most malleable superstar we've ever seen. Like, he, he can do everything on offense. He can play without the ball in his hands, with the ball in his hands. Um, and obviously there's a lot on Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni to kind of make everything fit. But if he can, like th- this team is going to be, I-, I just don't see how you stop them to be quite honest. Yeah, um, and by the way, I have, I have one Go stat for, for you. Go for it. Um, one stat that I, I came up with today, uh, that I saw today that I thought was interesting is that Harden has assisted Durant eight times in two games. Do you want to guess how many times Kyrie has assisted Durant in six games? I'm going to go th- I'm going to go with the 3. 3 is the first number that came to my head so I'm going to say 3 out loud. Oh wow. Um maybe this wasn't that great of a stat to pull up then. It's 12. Um 12. so so Harden has assisted Durant 8 times in 2 games. Kyrie's assisted Durant 12 times in 6 <laughs> games. Um which I think is interesting. I, I I think they could all fit well together, but I I do think that that speaks to how well Harden and Durant already complement each other. Um and you know, one thing that's easy to take for granted with this team is that like Nash is going to have the option of having at least one of them on the court at all times and possibly two. 
Um, so, you know, if whether it is Kyrie and Duran, it's Harden or Duran or everything like that, they're going to have two top 20 players on the court all times. Um, and it's just ridiculous. And that's what stuck out most to me in the game against the Brooklyn Nets. We could talk about, you know, the first game against the Magic, but the Magic right now are in a complete slump. They're in a six-game losing streak or in the midst of one. Uh, and they're not going to be a team that the Brooklyn Nets are going to really have to worry about in the postseason. They're going to have to worry about the Milwaukee's of the world, the the Philadelphia 76ers, the Boston Celtics, if they're fully healthy. And watching them play the Bucks, the, the one thing that stuck out to me is that the Bucks are going to have to deal with the fact that one of, as you said, of those three guys are going to be on the court at all times. And more than likely, it's going to be at least two of them. And that Bucks bench really did struggle when Giannis got out of the game uh, and 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 it was really on uh, Chris Middleton and even Drew Holiday to match blow for blow what whatever Kevin Durant or potentially James Harden was was working with and they did as best they did as good a job as they possibly could have they were playing you know they're playing the top level basketball the Bucks are no slouch but it's just going to be so tough when you have all three of them going and then you add in a Joe Harris and then you add in, as you said, the TLC and potentially this team could get even better by picking up guys later on in the season. We, we don't think that I don't think personally that the Brooklyn Nets are done adding to what they have right now. Like I, I'd still see them trying to improve this team some way, shape or form immediate improvement could be made at the center position. I know our colleague over at NBA.com, Gil McGregor, is very high on on uh, on Claxton on on is it Nick Claxton? Yeah. Yeah, Nicholas Claxton. He yeah, is a I've, guy who's is young. Uh he's not quite um you know a, a polished finisher, but he can go and catch lobs and that's all you really have to do when you're playing with three of the potential you know potentially best pick and roll uh playmakers that we have in the league. So uh, if he can get up and down the floor and 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 catch a lob and finish, uh, he's going to fill a role that the Nets currently can't fill when DeAndre Jordan is not on the floor. Yeah, that, that's going to be the interesting thing to see about um, how the Nets handle the rest of the season because I do think there's going to be an opportunity for them to whether it's a trade, the buyout market, or even picking up free agents right now. Like th- there's some notable players already available um, at center. There's a guy like Dwayne Dedman comes to mind. Uh, Michael K. Gilchrist. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, guys who can kind of do the dirty work, play defense, guard multiple positions, and take some of that pressure off of KD, Harden, um, and Kyrie. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they address that because losing Jared Allen was big for them because he was their best defensive center. Um, And we talked about this a few weeks ago. That was the biggest question mark for me. Like, who on this team is going to do the dirty work? Who's going to set the tone defensively and everything like that? Because right now, it just puts up so much pressure on DeAndre Jordan, um, but also Joe Harris and Kevin Durant, who is the best defender of those three. Um, so it, it, there's still some work to be done there. And I think that's going to be the question the rest of the season is how can they upgrade kind of the fringes of this roster? Um, and can they address some of those weaknesses? Because even if they're a decent defensive team, if they can kind of figure everything out offensively, that might be good enough. Um, and we're already kind of seeing, like a guy like Bruce Brown, by the way, he, he's kind of seen his minutes. He didn't play much at the start of the season. His minutes have picked up lately. Um, and you can already kind of see what a guy like that who brings a lot of energy, is defensive-minded, is going to cut, take advantage of teams helping off of him, having a guy in that role, how they can kind of thrive next to these players. Um, so, yeah, there's still work to be done. But I think anytime you have a team like this that's built around I mean, three stars, three superstars, you're going to get guys who are going to want to come play with them. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who they get. Two things that stick out for me, and we'll move on from uh, from the Brooklyn Nets. Is it's defense is obviously the, the, the key, I think, that people are going to focus in on. 
for the rest of the regular season. They're going to pay attention to that defense stat. And right now, they are dead middle. Right now, 15th in the league in terms of defensive rating, uh, 109.6. And this is a this is a team who really hasn't, in my opinion, tried at all on the defensive end. And they're sitting in the middle of the pack. And I, I don't think that that means that they're going to be a really good defensive team. I, st- I think that there are a middle-of-the-pack defensive team, even if they were trying. But what that says to me is that they have more opportunities and they will have in the postseason more opportunities to to have a set defense uh against most opponents that they go up against because they're going to score more times than they're not and you're 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 going to want to try to get easy baskets against this team but it's going to be tough because they're going to you're going to be taking the ball out of their basket every single time almost every single down time down the court so as you said I think most people are focusing on their defense, but I think if they are as good offensively as they as we think they might be, uh, with all those pieces in place and they seem to gel really quickly, it's going to be trouble. And they might be one of the first teams in NBA history that we see that really wins with offense. And you know, the Suns tried to do it. Uh, we saw the Rockets really tried to do it, and to, I think that's a little overstated because the Rockets played defense when they needed to. Mm-hmm. But I think this Brooklyn Nets team might get away with being a, an offensive juggernaut and just being okay defensively. Well, that's the thing. KD is a really good defender when he when he's locked in. Um, Kyrie, we've seen, is a very capable defender when he's locked in. And I know Harden is a punching bag, especially on social media for his defense, but. He can, he's big enough to guard multiple positions. Like, like one of the things that jumped out to me in the first couple games watching the Nets is obviously you don't want, Harden's not the guy who's going to fight around a screen and get back in front of a guard and sure. things like that. But there's very few situations where I see Harden on defense and I'm like, that's a problem. Do you know what I mean? Like he'll switch on to Nick Vucevic and you don't feel like, oh, the, the, the Magic are immediately going to go to him at the post and that's an easy bucket. Um, so I, I think that's really helpful when you have multiple guys on your roster who can guard multiple positions um, and just not be left alone um, and feel like that's something that the, the, the offense can exploit every single time. Um, whether or not that's enough, we're going to find out. I do still kind of think they need, they could do with someone like a Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, um, who we, we saw was really good with the Raptors last year, primarily because they could surround him with shooting every single position and basically use him as a center on offense because he couldn't shoot and then just guard every position on defense. Um, and the Nets can kind of do that because KD can play the four and he's one of the best shooters in NBA history. Kyrie, James Harden are two excellent shooters, guys you have to basically stay glued to when you cross half court. Um, so that, that the good thing for them is there are guys out there, and if they need to address it, I think they will be able to. It made me laugh watching the game against the Bucks because of the way that they guarded Giannis. We talk about it off yeah. air all the time. To you know, uh, where you're, I think you're sick of hearing me say it that Giannis is going to have to show other teams uh, that they can't guard him that way, and he pretty much did yesterday uh, in in the game against the Nets. But it was it was. That was the most extreme lack of perimeter coverage I had ever seen. Like DeAndre Jordan was basically sitting in the middle of the paint uh, and and daring on his triple dog daring him to take any shot from you know around the uh, uh, the perimeter and Giannis was knocking him down but it what it did it wasn't that Giannis wasn't making shots and that's why you know it's going to hurt and this is why I think that in the postseason. Uh, it matters. What that does is it takes you out of the flow of the game because there was points in the game where Giannis was looking at that defense and he was sick and tired of taking that shot that was being given to him 
where he was asking for a screen, and you just can't screen a defender that's not playing you that closely. And he, you could see that he was frustrated by you know the lack of, of movement, player movement from his team, um, because they just it, it's such an awkward defense that mm. you don't know how to attack, and it really slows down and messes up the flow of uh, of, of the Bucks offense. And that's to me going to be the key for the Bucks playoff run i don't know how we got on the bucks we all find a way to get back on the bus. but that is what stuck out to me the most uh when we when i was watching that game uh yesterday between them and the brooklyn nets i don't you don't have to respond to that we can move on to uh the houston rockets before it gets uh we get out of hand here houston well, I, can i go real real quick on that go for it um go for it. two two real quick things on that one of the things i thought was interesting i agree with you on all that um Giannis did have a couple moves in that fourth quarter against deandre jordan where it looked like he was kind of processing it he had one nice like little hook shot um, and then he had one where he was looked like he was going to shoot the little step back from like the short mid mid range area, um, and just didn't take it. And those are, that when I saw that, I was like, those are the shots he needs to take because teams are going to have to respect that. Um, and also, one of the adjustments the Bucks did down the stretch to kind of expose that or make the most of of DeAndre Jordan backing off of him was they run a ton of handoffs with Giannis um, with the ball in his hands, and also made him a, a screener for Chris Middleton. And there was a there was a, probably a bit too much Bryn Forbes down the stretch to be honest, but. Um, <laughs> I think that's you know that that's going to be a really important part of their offense too because to this point of Giannis's career, no one's been able to get the most out of him as a role man, um, and I, I do think that's something that Drew Holiday can do. He's much better equipped to do it with uh, Eric Bledsoe. So for me, I, I saw a couple of encouraging things from the Bucks down the stretch. There, it's still a concern. They still have a long way to go, but I, I think it's baby steps. Yeah, it, it just sucks that your best player has to be relegated to just being a screen, man. That's tough. Uh, but it, it, it's it's a situation where I think they could win um, if Middleton and Holiday can come to the table mm-hmm. and, as you said, be that pick-and-roll ball handler. All right, let's talk about the Houston Rockets, the team that James Harden left. Um, they got a lot back uh, for, for James Harden. So the, most of what they got back is future pieces, but – they got things that could help them in the immediate future uh, in Victor Oladipo, who is at least going to be there for this season. Who knows beyond that? Uh, and in his first outing, looks pretty good and comfortable in a Houston Rockets uniform. Yeah, here's another stat for you. Um, according to NBA.com, his usage rating in his debut with the Rockets was 42.1%. That is yeah. his highest usage rating ever ever in a single game um i went through the past four five actually, sorry his entire career um to this point and that was the highest usage rate he's ever posted in a game um and, and it really got me to thinking like the 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 victor oladipo we saw in that first year in indiana mm-hmm. his success was because they just they gave him the ball and they let him run the offense um and he was fantastic in that role and then obviously he got that injury um the paces acquired brogdon that kind of took some of the touches away from him and he was coming back from an injury and then you have someone like Devonta Sabonis who's developing and also has the ball in his hands quite a lot. Um, and I just, I, I feel like Oladipo never kind of found his rhythm. Um, and Houston's an interesting opportunity for him because they can kind of give him the ball. And John Wall didn't play um, in Victor Oladipo's debut. So that's kind of the missing piece there. And another guy who needs the ball in his hands is is not a great shooter. So it'll be interesting to see how they can play next to each other. But I, d- I do think that the Rockets, the way they are built right now, is kind of constructed better to play to the way that Victor Oladipo wants to play. Um, and Christian Wood in particular is kind of the perfect center uh, to pair with him because he's just so good offensively, can play inside and out. Um, in addition to, I think it was, what was it, 32 points that Victor Oladipo scored in his debut with the Rockets, he also dished out nine assists. And mm-hmm. seven of those nine assists went to Christian Wood. 
um, off of some pick and rolls, pick and pops, and spot up shots. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's a big year for uh, Victor Oladipo as well because it's a it's a contract year. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent in the off season, one of the best free agents available. So he has a lot to play for. New situation, team around him that makes you know maybe plays to his strengths a little bit better. Um, again, Wall when he comes back is going to be a big piece to kind of integrate there. Um, but it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that situation plays out for him. Um, and certainly by his debut, that that, that was as, as promising of a start as I think you could have expected for him. Yeah, I, I think I think Oladipo is going to be fine uh, in, in Houston. I, I think Rockets fans are going to have a tough time identifying their team now when they play because they're not going to see as many ISO situations as they did in the past. You're going to see a lot of screen and roll, and that's going to look familiar because Christian Wood is probably right now, anyway, the best uh, you know screener um, in the league. Uh, when you give when you put into perspective his ability to roll to the basket and finish his ability to step outside and shoot he may be the best role man in the league and and that includes Anthony Davis um Christian Wood is that good and Victor Oladipo definitely was uh was able to use him a lot in in his first game uh in Houston John Wall coming back is going to change things a little bit but I don't think it takes the ball out of Victor Oladipo's hands as much as it has uh when he was in Indiana I think John Wall is is now at a point in his career where he understands he's not the guy anymore he's 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 going to be happy to be that role player and Oladipo uh, is going to be happy to step into that role of being all right when the game's on the line. I, I'm that guy that uh, uh, that gets paid the primetime bucks to make the primetime play. So um, Houston is, is 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 a team now. They're they're no longer you know reliant on one or two guys to carry them. Uh, I think they have a team situation there, and uh, you, you can see uh, how how emotional they were on the over the weekend with a win over the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, I think it was the first game without Harden or after the trade. Uh, mm-hmm. They they stole one in San or against San Antonio, and you saw the way they reacted. It was almost like they won a playoff game. Um, they they were fist you know pumping and everything else. So. Uh, they they heard all the chatter that uh, you know everything was relying on James Harden. I think they want to shed that a little bit and and play some good basketball. They're 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 deep into the standings right now. There's a there's a deep hole and it's going to be tough for them to climb out of that hole, especially in the Western Conference. But I think this team is good enough on paper uh, that they can make a run at at least a seventh or eighth seed. Yeah, I mean, they have a bunch of guys on their roster who are kind of playing with uh, chips on their shoulder. You know, John Wall's coming back from those injuries. DeMarcus Cousins, too. Christian Wood just got his big contract, but he's kind of proving himself after that stretch that he had with the Pistons last year. Um, even Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon had a down year last year. Seems to be healthy. Um, so they have a bunch of guys who, who have something, I feel like, that they want to prove. Um whether or not that's enough for them to make the playoffs in the West this year, I don't know. I think they're going to be a competitive team. Um, but the West is, as we've talked about so many times before, it's just it's just so deep. Um, and by the way, going back to what you said about Christian Wood, just some numbers to, to back up what you were saying. He's averaging 7.4 points per game as a role man, um, according to the Synergy data. That is the most in the NBA. Nikola Vucevic is second with 6.4. So he leads the league by a point over the person who's in second place and he ranks about in the 62nd percentile in efficiency um last year i I wrote about this christian wood was basically the most efficient spot up player and role man in the league which is absolutely absurd um and unsustainable i think it was fair to say but yeah he's proven himself to be just one of the most versatile role men in the league and anytime you compare him with guys like john wall and victor oladipo who can kind of put the ball on the floor get to the basket and things like that 
it's a, it's it's a dream big man to play next to for them. Um, we said it before. I think he's like Clint Capella on steroids uh, when he when he's playing at his best. So um, I, I'm glad to see Christian Wood play well. It's been one of the bright spots for the Rockets so far, and what has been such a weird season. Um, so hopefully he can keep it up because he he's been a monster. Yeah, he's. Uh, I was skeptical on him, but he's he's been as good as advertised. So. Um, the Rockets at four and eight. They have a uh, long road ahead. Hopefully, they are able to chip out of that uh, hole and, and make it interesting in the Western Conference, at least for that ten seed. And it, that's going to be a battle in itself for that uh, yep. that playing game. Um, one team that I have no doubt, after watching their about first month and a half now play in the NBA, they're not going to have any sort of struggle making the postseason this season, barring any major injuries. That is the Utah Jazz. They've quietly been the most electrifying team in the Western Conference standing. They have the longest win streak, tied for the longest win streak in the conference right now at five games and counting. They're nine and four. They're playing good basketball and they're healthy. And this is this is the difference between, I think, what people had hoped to see from this uh, Utah Jazz team last year when they heard that Mike Conley was going there. It was like, oh, Mike Conley's there. That's the missing piece. Oh, they, they picked up Bogdanovich. The, the Jazz have finally figured it out. They got Donovan Mitchell help, and they got some some relief at secondary scoring uh, role. They don't have to rely on Joe Ingles for that anymore. And then Gobert's going to have some spacing. And now we're slowly starting to see that all put together. Those guys have now played together uh, for a handful of games, more than, you know, the, the, I think people expected them to kind of click right out of the gate. It didn't happen. They're clicking now. They look like a team that trusts each other. And surprisingly, it might be because of that loss in, in, in the uh, first round of the playoffs. The, the way that they were able to come back in that series uh, or, and, and just kind of withstand some of the back and forth with the Denver Nuggets and, and the, the way that that game seven went down, that was real heartbreak, I think, for that Utah Jazz team. And, and I think they're using that and it's fueling them this season to have the start that I think many people expected the Denver Nuggets to have to begin the year. Yeah, one of the interesting things to me is is kind of what the narratives would be about the Nuggets and Jazz if Mike Conley's shot fell um, at the end of that Game 7. Because it really did feel like the Nuggets came into this season, I mean, they haven't really been playing well outside of Nikola Jokic, who who might be the front runner for MVP right now because he's just averaging a triple-double, leading the league in assists. It, he, he's been playing um, at an outrageous level. But they've kind of been given a pass, I feel like, for the way that they've come out this season a little bit slow. Um, just because we give them the benefit of the doubt for making the Western Conference Finals, battling back from 3-1 two different times. And then here are the Jazz, the third place in the West, and it feels like no one's talking about them. Um, you know, that, that right now, as of this recording, they're ninth in offensive rating and sixth in defensive rating. The only other team in the league that's in the top 10 in both of the Lakers. Um, and, and this is without Mitchell really playing to his standard. Um, he, he came out really slow to start this season. He's picked it up lately, um, but he hasn't quite been himself. But um, he, he's picking up a little bit lately. Jordan Clarkson has been great. I think I saw today that now he's um, some betting places have him as the, the, the leader for sixth man of the year. Um, but the big one for them is Mike Conley. Uh, I think the way that he's played to start this season, like you were saying, is the player that we all expected him to be last year, um, but he could never really find his rhythm. And I know he's talked before about like even playing with Rudy Gobert. He spent his whole career basically playing with a pick-and-pop big man in Marc Gasol. And we all know that Marc Gasol is not a lob threat around the basket or anything like that. 
and, and he's talked about how it's been an adjustment for him to play next to Rudy Gobert, who who is a you know a, an alley oop guy, a guy who, who who needs to have the ball around the basket and everything like that. So it, it's been an adjustment for him, and I, I think you're starting to see him look comfortable in that offense, look comfortable playing next to Donovan Mitchell, playing without the ball in his hands, um, or playing less with the ball in his hands than he's had in the past. And really, this team's just you look at one through eight. It is really scary, and they have pieces at every single position that complement each other. Derek Favors coming off the bench and and backing up Rudy Gobert um, it is big for their defense. And to me, I, I'm very curious to see how the rest of the season plays out for them because they really do feel like they're playing, flying under the radar right now. Um, and like I said, I think the narrative about them after that loss to the Nuggets in the first round, which really could have gone either way, and obviously you need to take into account they did blow a 3-1 lead, and that rarely happens. Um, but like this team... Like you said, it, it seemed like they were basketball Twitter's fascination going into last season. I know, I know, right. I was. I, I, I thought um, I, I picked the Clippers as the favorites, but I really thought that the Jazz could give one of those teams, like the Clippers and the Lakers, a run for their money. Um, and, it, and it really does feel like they're starting to piece everything together now. If you think they're flying under the radar now, uh, this week they're going to be all over our television sets. They are going to be on NBA TV twice this week, so national TV love for them. They play Zion and the Pelicans uh, on Tuesday night. And, and then they're on TNT uh, against Zion and the Pelicans once again. So they're getting some national TV love there. And then they play Steph and the Warriors on Saturday on NBA TV. So if they can get through this week unscathed and, and continue the great play that they've had, I think more people will start paying attention to what they are doing right now in Utah. The big stat that stands out for me, uh, given all of the complications with travel and everything else and the protocols and uh, the health and safety uh, steps that teams have to take, for them to go, go on the road and have a 7-2 record, which is one of the best records in the NBA right now, only the Lakers are undefeated on the road, um, and, and it's the Jazz who have the next best record, uh, that's pretty impressive to me. And that shows me something, that a team is together, they're focused, they're ready to rock, uh, and, and they're taking care of business uh, both on and off the floor. So shout out to the Utah Jazz. They're playing good basketball, and they could potentially uh, start getting some headlines after this week is up and through. Um, I'm with you on Mitchell, though. I, I think he needs to step up. And maybe, you know, he's a primetime guy. So maybe this is the week. Maybe this is the week he breaks out of his slump a little bit. Do they do they need him to, though? Like, I mean, they're playing good basketball with him just kind of being pedestrian by his standards. Do they need him to get back to that level that he was in the bubble? I mean, getting back to the level he was in the bubble is, is like an MVP candidate. So I, I don't know about that. But he, to his credit, he's played much better over the last five five or so games he's averaged uh 26.2 points five assists over the last five games shooting 49 percent from the field and 46 point uh 46.3 from three mm-hmm. i i do think they need him i mean they, they need him to be mike conley takes some of the pressure off if mike conley can get back to the player that he was before the trade that takes some pressure off of donovan mitchell but they still need it we've seen it time and time again in the playoffs they, they need someone who can close who can get a bucket late um and we all know i think donovan mitchell is that guy for this team so i i, I do think they need to he needs to be back to that kind of all-star caliber player that he was um, last year. And again, he's trending in the right direction. He's been much better the last five games. And, and one thing that really, you know you know me, you know I like a good pass, Colin. Mm-hmm. Um, I lose my mind over it. And, and watching that game against the Nuggets the other day, he had seven assists. And I, I feel like that really didn't do testament to, to how good of a passing game he really had um and that that's a big thing for him too not only to rudy gobert and you know we heard the story last year about some turmoil between them both on and off the court 
um, and how you know Rudy wanted more uh, passes and things like that, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's to everyone else on this roster too, and really they can just surround Mitchell and Gobert with spacing at every single position with Bogdanovich, Conley, and things like that. Um, so not only do they need him to be a scorer, if he can kind of take some of that pressure off with his passing as well, um, it's only going to help this team reach their, their full potential offensively. Yeah, and this Jazz team, uh, you know, on top of all of that, they're getting the chemistry together. We we know that Conley is now he, he feels like a Utah Jazz player. Before it was like a he's a Grizzly, but he's wearing a Jazz uniform. He feels like a Utah Jazz guy now. When you cut the TV on and you watch this Jazz team play, and then they have a rotation of nine deep that everyone knows their role. Like it goes down to George Niang. He comes in. I think he's averaging about ten minutes per game. He knows what he's coming in to do at that spot. We know. That you know, Royce Young is probably going to take the best the, the player on the other team and try to not you know lock them down, and then he's going to spot up and shoot threes. We know Bogdanovich is going to be that secondary, even now third uh, playmaker on the team when when Conley's going. So I, I think that was a little bit of a confusion last year. Conley was just kind of trying to fit in. Now they're using Conley at Conley's strengths. He feels comfortable there, uh, and everybody sort of knows their role, and that's a credit to Quinn Schneider, the head coach over in Utah, and hopefully he gets a good run at a uh, postseason because he's, he's been kind of yeah, you know, flirting with uh, a deep playoff run over the last couple of mm-hmm. years, and it feels like now he has a team that uh, can actually do it. They'll probably need to upset a team to do it, but it feels like uh, this might be the year that they can get that done. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to NBA Sound System on wherever you get your podcast. Just type in NBA Sound System, hit subscribe. If you missed any part of the live show, which is what you're listening to right now, you can catch it in its entirety over on the podcast feed. And for more information on that, check out NBA Sound System.com. For Scott Rafferty, I am Carlin Gabe. We will see you next week at 3 p.m. Eastern Time every Tuesday, LIV Live across the NBA Global Networks. We'll see you then. Enjoy your week.